welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means. Sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. Sex. Hmm. <laughs> I know, I even giggle when I say the word, and I'm a couples therapist. It's one of the top concerns couples have when they enter counseling. I would say that sex, money, and parenting are probably, if I could you know, summarize the top three concerns that couples have when they first start seeing me, uh, those, are, those are in the top three. And there is really so much pain around this issue of sex uh, because it really is such a powerful force in our lives. And it's a powerful topic for a lot of reasons, some of which I'm going to be exploring today. It's a huge pain point. It's a point of confusion. And it's a really huge point of miseducation. Uh, most of us did not receive great sex ed as we were growing up. Uh, if we were lucky enough to have a sex-positive parenting approach when we were growing up, bravo to you. You will be super excited and just, you know, relaxed around this conversation. But for the rest of us, <laughs> you know, just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath and acknowledge that you would like some healing in this area. Here on the podcast, we're all about uh, reducing pain and shame and confusion around lots of areas of our lives, but there is a needed reduction of shame, especially around sexuality, so that sex can be a source of connection and play instead of tension and heartache. And if you've heard me speak about this topic before, either at a, at a talk I've given or as a client, you've probably heard me expand the definition of sex to include uh, eroticism. And when I speak of eros, I am speaking of life force energy. So it's all those... <laughs> juicy, yummy urges to both create and grow and change. And all of these energies could be considered erotic. And I find that expanding this definition really helps us enter into the imagination of the erotic. I find the erotic imagination to be a very rich source of information about the soul, about our soul as individuals and the soul of our culture. And so because it is something of the soul, I want to set the foundation of its mysteries, its paradox, and ultimately our love and admiration for it. 
much of our modern world, although it is, quote, seemingly obsessed with sex, uh, I actually still feel so much shame coming from the culture around sexuality. So there's shame, there's confusion, and even outright disgust. I deeply appreciate this quote uh, by Jack Morin when considering the realm of the erotic. We live in an era of both promise and great danger. The danger is that negativity will drive eroticism into the shadows where it is most likely to assume the very shapes we fear. But those who find the courage to survey the entire panoply of the erotic experience, joyful as well as dangerous, life-giving as well as troublesome, stand on the brink of a new consciousness of Eros. As our perspective enlarges, we can see that, in the final analysis, eroticism can never be either pathological or neat and clean. For it is as vast and multifaceted as human nature itself. The paradoxical perspective is the only point of view large enough to encompass this truth. That's Jack Morin from his book, The Erotic Mind. And so ultimately today, I really hope to inspire your curiosity about your own erotic mind and life and experience less shame and fear so that your sex life can become an experience of joy and pleasure as well as connection with yourself and others. I also want it to be a place of consciousness and awareness so that it isn't relegated to the shadow. Paying attention to our erotic mind is some of the most profound shadow work we can do. There's a lot of talk about shadow work these days. It seems that uh, folks are becoming interested in this branch of psychology, which I I welcome. I was trained uh, as a Jungian therapist and in this modality, and so I might have a, a bent towards this this lens, but it's fun to see the culture going in this direction. And so in, in light of this shadow work and in the spirit of inspiring both curiosity and reducing shame, I'm going to just invite you to enter into this space uh, with a deep breath, acknowledging both a heart of openness and a curious mind. One of, I mean, I mentioned Jack Moran's The Erotic Mind, which is a fun read if you, uh, you know, are looking for a new read. I think, I don't even know if it's in print anymore. It's an old, older book, but I find it to be um, quite helpful uh, because he definitely helps us understand the nature of fantasy very well. So aside from his book, one of my new favorite books on uh, sexuality is the book Come As You Are, The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life by Emily Nagoski. Uh, Emily Nagoski is a sex researcher and therapist. And she really brings together a wealth of knowledge. And she draws, I mean, from almost every psychological 
theory and tradition that there is and uh, puts it in a fantastic book that both provides a foundational academic summary, right? So if you didn't receive that sex ed that you, you know, should have gotten when you were entered. Actually, I believe sex ed starts really from the moment kids are born, but that's sort of another story. But anyway, she she really gives just a great sex education perspective. And she she also gives a lot of practical applications that support people on their journey towards sexual wholeness. And so for today's podcast, I wanted to review and reflect on a few key takeaways that I hope you find to be helpful. So just full disclosure, the book is focused on female sexuality, although she does talk a lot about couples and dynamics. So she talks a lot about female anatomy. Just if you're kind of curious, if you're wanting to get the book, I hope she's writing one for men as well. Um, But whether you are a woman or you love a woman, it behooves you to have a clear understanding of women's sexuality. It cannot hurt. So one one of the points that she talks about that I felt was really relevant is she talks about this idea of learning to be sex positive in our sex negative culture. And she really has an entire chapter around learning to be sex positive in a sex negative world. And you might be thinking to yourself, but wait, isn't our world and culture over-sexualized? Isn't it all about sex? And, you know, I mean, all you have to do is go to the grocery aisle and see the cosmos and the social media. Everybody is selling ideas about sex. And the media is pretty saturated with sexual imagery. But I would argue that most of what we're seeing And I say most, I think we're in in the middle of a pretty big shift in terms of the media that's happening. Um, But a lot of it does not promote healthy sexuality and is not sex positive because most of it makes uh, women and men feel pretty inadequate from the get-go. And this is not sex positive for so many reasons. <laughs> but the big reason is that it supposes that sexuality should only take certain forms, that it only looks one way, that there is a right way and a wrong way. And even among popular therapy books from you know the Gottmans or Esther Perel, they, they seem to suggest that there is a certain specific and predictable route to a healthy erotic life. And so there seems to be pressure from all sides that you should be doing more or less for a variety of reasons. One of the questions that I will often get is, Brooke, how much sex should we be having? And my answer is usually, however much you decide you want to be having. Like that literally is the answer. There is no, there is no right or wrong way. And you'll kind of hear this, this theme today uh, talked about a lot. Emily uh, really emphasizes this point. And I, I think, 
as a therapist, this is a super important point to emphasize that sexuality is really as unique as each individual. So that, again, that pressure that you should be doing more or less uh, for a variety of reasons is particularly painful to women. She says, she kind of says that she summarizes the messages that women receive from pretty much day one about their bodies, that there are three messages that really impair their sexual development. These are the messages she says they are. You are evil slash damaged, the slut, right? And therefore unlovable. You are diseased, right? There's something wrong with you. There's something we need to fix. And then the third, which is you are inadequate. Self-criticism of the body is definitely the biggest killer of desire and pleasure. Women need to feel beautiful and confident in their bodies in order to enjoy their bodies. And men need to feel strong and confident as well. And I don't see a lot of body love happening right now. In fact, I think socially we're encouraged to be on sort of a never-ending quest for improvement. You know, we're just coming off of January, so it's all about losing weight, getting in the best shape of your life. And while I certainly, we promote nutritious food and mindful movement, I think that it can be a real trap if we go into like this never-ending quest for self-improvement because you're not accepting yourself where you are. You're not loving yourself as you are. And it turns out this is actually really bad for your sex life. As media continues to have a large role in our consciousness, I am definitely also seeing more and more men feeling self-conscious about their bodies. It's not just a female issue anymore to the point where they are also exercising to harm and taking questionable substances to create a certain look. I saw an old surfing video the other day at lunch from the late 60s and 70s. And, you know, it was full of all these, you know, surfing guys walking around. It was, you know, it was here in Laguna. And I thought to myself how nice and different it was to see kind of real slash normal looking men on the screen. I mean, they were definitely fit and healthy. They were surfing, but they weren't perfectly chiseled into a very specific shape. You know, they were sort of delightfully all unique. (laughs) And then on the female side, you know, recently I decided to watch the Pamela Anderson documentary, which I had mixed reviews on. If you are somewhat sensitive to issues of abuse and violence, I don't recommend watching it. It's also just kind of sad. Not kind of. It's actually very sad. But she did say something that I keep thinking about. And she asked the question, why do these grown men hate me so much? And I couldn't help but think, wow. Um, Okay, so Pamela Anderson, easily like one of the biggest like cultural sex icons of maybe the last century, but maybe beginning into ours as well. And she, instead of receiving love and celebration for her expression of sexuality, felt unloved, unprotected, 
and ultimately harmed, which I think this gets to uh, the heart of many women's troubles with sexuality, but also men's as well. Um, I talk a lot in my work with individuals and couples on this issue of the, the patriarchy really kind of hurting our understanding of sexuality. And it really puts women in a box and in a bind, uh, you know, where if they are like Pamela, you know, just sort of, I mean, wild and free in their expression, there is this uh, fear, sometimes grounded, that they will be uh, hurt for expressing that sexuality. And so it takes a great deal amount of courage, and I'm going to really use that word courage, to express yourself sexually, to become embodied, to find your sexual truth and to express it. It takes a great deal amount of courage. And I would say a lot of boundary work (laughs) with a great therapist, a lot of healing work. I would say not to, you know, maybe there were some boundary issues with Pam, you know, that she maybe revealed more than was actually safe for her to reveal. But the issue still stands that, you know, she was sexually expressive and then was punished for it. And so that idea is ingrained into women's psyches. And so if you are a man who loves a woman, you really have to support your woman in feeling safe, 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 safe. So again, point number one is that even though we, we live in this allegedly sexual culture, we actually don't know very much about sex. <laughs> and I can attest to that by the questions I get, by the concerns I get. And the question that is asked over and over again, both to me and then Emily says that she gets this question a lot as well, which is, am I normal? And people are really asking that question, am I normal? And my answer is, yes, (laughs) you are you. And so you get to be you and whatever form your sexual expression wants to take, that that is you, as long as it is not hurting yourself or somebody else. Right? That's always my caveat. Again, it takes courage. So that's point number one. It takes courage to learn to be sex positive, to really embrace your uniqueness, to embrace your sexual erotic self, and to say, mine doesn't have to look like the media, and that it probably won't. <laughs> so I could do about three more podcast episodes on that topic just alone. But for the point of time, I'm going to move on to um, point number two, one or at least a point that I thought was relevant from Emily's book, Emily's work. And this is super relevant. So this also gets in the way. Point number two is that we live in a perpetually stressed state. And so the stress cycle is not complete. What do I mean by stress cycle, right? So what's happening in our modern world is that we are constantly on. We are constantly sort of living in stress slash cortisol. And this really inhibits the expression of sexual desire and pleasure. And or it can contribute to kind of compulsive 
using of sexuality to discharge that energy, which is not entirely bad. (laughs) Again, right? No shame, no blame. All is okay. But I would say that, you know, there are certain times where certain people use sexuality in a way that can be harmful to themselves and that it can become compulsive. Equally on the flip side, because of stress, people can say, well, I'm just going to exit from sex because I don't have, quote, the time to sink into a sexual response, you know, which brings me really to my next point. Um, Actually, I mean, it's Emily's, but it's my summary of her work is the accelerators and brakes. So she comes up with this idea and she borrows it from cars, which I actually think is actually super helpful. And she talks about this idea that people have both sexual accelerators and sexual brakes. And some people have super sensitive accelerators, sexual accelerators, and some people have super sensitive brakes. Some people have super sensitive accelerators and brakes. Some people have super sensitive, you know, like you can, you can go through all the different combinations. The idea is to figure out who you are. You know, are you somebody who can be turned on sort of quickly? Or does it take you a while to kind of warm up to the idea of a sexual encounter? And then if you are, if your accelerator is sort of sticky, if you will, um, maybe you have super sensitive brakes that are like constantly breaking and interrupting and stopping the acceleration process of a sexual response. And I would say that there is, there is nothing wrong with either, you know, whatever combination you find yourself in, again, it's all just super unique to the individual. No right, no wrong way. It's just about figuring out who you are and what works for you. And then by proxy, your partnership, right? So maybe if you have a super sensitive uh, sexual brake system and your partner has a super sensitive accelerator, just acknowledging your differences can take the shame away right? And saying, okay, there's nothing wrong with either of our approaches. It's just that we're different. And how can we learn to honor those differences? And that's really the work of being in partnership is learning how to both honor yourself and the other person. Another thing that Emily talks about um, is this idea of spontaneous versus responsive desire. And it's this idea that, well, first of all, she's really, again, addressing this media portrayal of like, you know, that sexual desire just kind of like, right. I don't know if you heard me snap, like it just kind of snaps and we just like go into it. And all of a sudden we just like want to have sex or feel sexy. And that on its face looks more spontaneous. Like we would say, oh, that's spontaneous desire. But really what she says is that we are actually all always responding 
to both internal and external cues, right? In the book, Emily talks about this example of this one man who was frequently turned on by, you know, whenever his wife would get out of the shower and he would see her walking around naked, he'd be like, oh man, that just really gets me going. And that felt spontaneous to him, but really he was responding to cues in his environment. It felt spontaneous to his wife, right? But it's just that for her, she maybe had not learned to associate um, sexual turn-on with herself walking around naked, right? Like for her, that association just wasn't there, Uh, but for her partner, it was. And so turn-on and desire is a response to, right, both your internal cues and external cues. Internal cue that I always, I mean, I recommend exercise and movement to almost all of my clients. But if you're looking to increase sexual desire, I definitely recommend exercise uh, for both men and women. It just gets the blood flow going, quite frankly, (laughs) and blood flow all over, right? And so you're going to feel just more blood flow in the genitals, and that'll increase the uh, possibility that you are turned on by a potential sexual cue. And lastly, I just kind of want to end this episode uh, by returning to this idea of uh, the mind, Jack Morin's idea of the erotic mind and how really the most powerful piece of our sexuality and erotic life is our mind and what we are thinking about and what we are choosing to nurture and to really honor those fantasies. Maybe some of those fantasies can't be played out in your current life uh, for a variety of reasons, but to at least get curious about the heart of that fantasy and taking a look at like, what is it about this fantasy that makes me feel good, that maybe heals an old wound? And I, I would be really remiss to say that, you know, regarding wounds, And again, this could be an entire, really, podcast devoted to sexual abuse. But I do think that it is super relevant to at least mention that if you have been sexually abused, it really is worth uh, healing the shame around that for yourself and for any future lovers. Or if you have loved someone with uh, sexual abuse in their past, which can affect you as well as a lover. That healing in this area is available to you and encouraged. But again, I really just want to start, start and end this episode with this idea of reducing shame. We're going to just take that away and say, Whatever you're desiring, whatever you're experiencing, we're just going to approach it with a state of curiosity and openness to growth and to healing and to fun and to pleasure. And so on this Valentine's Day weekend and next week uh, for Valentine's Day, I hope that you sink into this idea of pleasure and eroticism as 
life force energy and to celebrate it both within yourself and your lover. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out zenfounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.